0: Police Patrol Service. Baldwin Park calls itself the hub of the San Gabriel Valley. Tucked about 20 miles away from downtown Los Angeles, just east of East LA, the crime density lightens up right around these city limits. Most residents appreciate a well-run municipality with plenty of work, safe streets, and the bragging rights of being the home of the first ever In-N-Out. If you asked Chief Kamorar Dallas, she would be quick to credit the safety and comfort that these citizens enjoy to the fine men and women who wear her police department's badge. She had started her law enforcement career in the County Sheriff's Office, actually, working the jails like every other newly sworn until a spot in Irwindale PD opened up, and she saw it as a fast track to the actual police work she had dreamed of since she was a little girl. She put in for a transfer, and then spent about six years working the Beats and becoming noted as one of the community's most revered police. However, working at a small department means long waits to promotions, and never one to be particularly patient, Officer Dallas was always keeping feelers out for sergeant openings. Her patience paid off not more than two years later, when Baldwin Park PD expressed interest in bringing in a decorated female officer to lead their new aggressive anti-gang task force, the Gang Activity Prevention Unit, or GAP for short. She applied immediately, and when hired, accepted graciously. Jump ahead a decade, and Lieutenant Ardalis had created one of the most elite gang disruption units in the county. They had about as much control over hard narcotics as the city police department could hope, and as a result, assaults, petty thefts, robberies, and just about every other crime had all dropped to historic lows. One way in which Ardalis had accomplished such a feat was something she spoke about often, Building the right team. She was clear that it was more complex than simply recruiting the best officers. What a good police needed to run that interference that quelled criminals and maintain the peace about which the everyday citizen never thinks twice was a solid mix of officers with a complementary set of skills. For example, our Dallas' team had consisted of a core group of veteran officers that she had handpicked after asking permission from the chief to audit several of their units. After an intensive investigation, a few interviews, and some heavy background work, she formed her unit of detectives Bermudez, Long, Guevara, and Officer Girardi. These officers were, of course, all excellent in their own way and, naturally, had squeaky clean records. But the reason she found success with this unit was in how they worked together. Bermudez had worked gangs as soon as he finished his time on general patrol. He had a knack for tailing suspects, and when he did come face-to-face with even the most brutal banger, he wouldn't so much as blink. Ardalis claimed that she had seen him stare down a perp on the hook for a double murder for over 60 seconds, without even a twitch of his eyelid. Long was in the detective bureau, and he was the brains of it all. Highly observant and a natural puzzle solver, the vast codes, processes, and rituals that any gang in Bowman Park manifested could always be cracked by his police work. Guevara was the organizational background of the unit being the go-to guy for paperwork, evidence logging, warrant security, and an endless list of less exciting but highly crucial tasks. Then there was Francis Girardi. Ardalis had personally pulled the then 25-year-old patrolman off his beat after an interview that she would come to remember for the rest of her career as a police professional. She had wanted a young cop in the unit to provide a fervent perspective that the veterans might miss, and being the long-term thinker that Ardalis was, She always wanted to have someone in the group who could lead the next generation of gang detectives. Girardi had only been on the force for three years, but his excellence was on display from the start. At a solid 225, he stood just over six feet with his chest so built up from his regiment of heavy bench presses that his Kevlar could barely fit under an XXL uniform shirt. Although physically imposing, he did his best work with his head and his voice, as most cops tend to do even as a rookie patrolman he was able to talk to the right people work his charm on some of the most violent criminals in the area and ultimately work deals and use the department's resources to get the baddest of the bad behind bars gerardi was the youngest on the task force by about eight years but you wouldn't be able to tell that from the way his natural leadership emerged in nearly every briefing meeting then sergeant r dallas put a cap on this as best as she could but the fact was that he was the better tactical operative And if she was being honest, he was about as close to her wavelength as nearly any cop or anybody that she'd ever met. This wasn't always a good thing, however. His obsession over operations, impatience, and long-term projects, and his reluctance to abide by the more restrictive of rules were all things she saw in herself, some of which she saw for the first time. As the group began to run its missions, the arrests started coming in, and both our Dallas and the chief were pleasantly surprised with how the experiment was developing so early on in the process. She was perennially praised for both recruiting and leading such an excellent team. And not only was she quickly bumped up to Lieutenant, but the talk about her becoming a chief someday gained more and more attraction as the gang activity in Bowman Park became less and less conspicuous. In seven years, our Dallas' team would statistically become the most elite gang deterrent force in the county. However, this wasn't without controversy. There were the normal complaints of brutality and violating certain aspects of due process, and naturally, some of our officers were accused of the usual cries of planting evidence and trapping and the like, but nothing ever really stuck. Ardalis was a beacon of professionalism, and everyone who knew her knew that she was so clean she didn't even run yellow lights. There was no chance that anyone on that unit was bending the rules to lock up perps, at the very least, not with her knowledge. As everyone predicted, Lieutenant Ardalis finally became Chief Ardalis when her superior retired leaving her to run one of the most successful departments in what was now one of the safest cities in the San Gabriel Valley. Once again, surprising no one, she promoted her best officer to fill her vacancy at the unit. Thus, Detective Girardi became Lieutenant Girardi, the same name that would be on the file that dropped on the Los Angeles County Sheriff Department's Detective Sergeant Deliana Desarian's desk on that fateful Monday morning. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is the biggest of its kind in the world, and thus it has what could appear to be an overwhelming amount of responsibility for an obscene amount of jurisdiction. In addition to running the county jail system, the department provides law enforcement services to contract cities, unincorporated territories, hospitals, schools, courts, and even the transit authority. Essentially, if something's fishy in the county of Los Angeles and there isn't a local force to put a stop to it, the sheriff's office jumps in. Now... What happens when that something fishy is inside one of those local forces? Well, there are different protocols that include internal affairs agencies and, if necessary, the FBI, but these situations tend to get rather heated and very expensive. So what the county ended up enacting to resolve these issues was spurting a special department that was in a way a litmus test for police corruption. The division was aptly named the Municipal Authority Preservation Division, MAPD, And it was stated to have the mission of both maintaining the integrity of the police departments and protecting sworn officers from duplicitous allegations. What the division actually did was infiltrate police forces and, if necessary, hand as strong of a case as they could to the FBI for prosecution. Officers in the MAPD were not very popular. They were naturally hated by virtually every cop in the enormous county, And they had the added weight of also being hated by the anti-police population who chose to see them as the strong-arm wing of the fascist municipal government. Whether you were fired, tried, or demoted, or if you were completely cleared of any wrongdoing, someone somewhere in L.A. County would claim that you had been mapped. Detective Deserian was still a young investigator when she was assigned the Baldwin Park PD Gap Unit case. Dilly, as she was referred to by her closest of contacts, had been promoted not even one year prior to reading about Lieutenant Francis Girardi. But she had been a law enforcement officer long enough to know the type. Cops like Girardi were staples of smaller departments like Baldwin Park PD. They were tough, authoritative, and they worked in an environment where it would behoove them to intimidate everyone around because there was no one to snitch to and nowhere to be transferred. The recipe for success for guys like this was to simply hit those arrest numbers, keep violent crime stats down, and then you could do almost anything you want. Almost. Dilly was on her way to a lunch meeting with Chief Ardallas that afternoon, ready to make her first contact for the case. It was never a good idea to come stomping into a department building, throwing one's weight around, so Dilly usually gave the chief a call, gave him or her a brief intro into what was going on, and asked to grab lunch to discuss. So the meeting with Ardallas was set up, and Dilly was ready to make the first and what was nearly always the hardest step in the process. Detective Dazarian arrived at the diner 15 minutes early, as usual, and found that Chief Dallas was already seated with a cold iced tea about half empty in front of her. The chief was looking through some paperwork when the detective arrived and asked the hostess for a table. Chief Dallas, who always sat facing the entrance of a restaurant, waved Dazarian over, stood, and shook the hand of the deputy, who was just beginning her distraction and disruption of the elite city policing that she had spent over a decade building. They said their formalities and Desarian went right into what it was she was doing in the beautiful city of Bowman Park. She told her that like many other citizens, the sheriff's office had been hearing the rumblings about what exactly goes on in the BPPD, more specifically in the Gang Activity Prevention Unit. Since most of these rumblings have been just that and nothing more, there was clearly no need for investigation from a separate agency of that specialty. However, since the MAPD is tasked with the duty of protecting officers, she had been assigned the opportunity to look into the unit and make sure the office can clearly determine that their policing is not only excellent, but lawful. Detective Chief R. Dallas began, purposely omitting the sergeant ranking in her address. I know what the MAPD is. I know what they do to cops. I know the rationalization of why you guys exist, and I understand it. I really do. I also know there's nothing I can do to stop it. This is my first personal run-in with your unit, but I've heard enough stories to know it's best to just cooperate. Well, thank you, Chief, the detective sergeant responded. I do appreciate that, and again, no one at BPPD is under formal investigation. I'm just here to observe enough of the operations to hopefully bring an end to all these rumors. You can be sure I'll stay as out of the way of your officers as I can. Sure. Okay, so what I thought I could do first was... uh, let me just say this before you start, the chief interrupted. There's nothing going on. My cops are good cops. Some of them mess up, just like in any other department, but we keep our people safe, and we do everything we can to maintain a level of service and dignity with our position. She stopped to take a big breath and a sip of her tea. I know Girardi's reputation, and I know you know I was the one who brought him into the gap unit. I saw him make his rookie mistakes. I reprimanded him and mentored him when he did. And I made sure he knew the difference between policing and swinging your dick around. He's a hard-headed guy, extremely rough around the edges. And he's always going to have more enemies than friends. And he's got a lot of friends. But he's a great cop. Just want to go on record saying that. I understand, Chief. I'm only... I'm sorry. But don't say you're only here to clear his name. Just spare me. As a courtesy, please. You got it. The waiter timed his entrance perfectly and took the orders as well as the edge off, as Dilly transitioned the discussion into more digestible shop talk, deciding it better to bring up her game plan for the investigation at a later time. At the very least, she'd wait until after she had a chat with Lieutenant Girardi. Back at the gap unit, the man himself was flipping through some of the bigger warrants in his jurisdiction, figuring he'd pick someone up and look busy since the LASD was in town. Why not give them a quick look at just how elite and more importantly valuable he and his unit were to the city? Girardi pushed around the mugshots with his thick fingers, contemplating who would be the perfect mix of ease of apprehension and high media attraction. Each face on the table was one he knew well. One of Girardi's most cultivated skills was getting to know people. The barrel chested Italian would crack a joke with the governor just as well as he would with a cartel gang lord. He'd also have no issue bringing either into the station, with a little extra shove into the cage for good measure. Girardi narrowed his list down to two. The first was Wally Pimento, for the most part a Sereño soldier for hire, who had about 20 murders under his belt. This was a tricky one, because Pimento was not only about as dangerous as these guys come, but because he's pulled guys from all gangs, he's never short on enemies, and thus he has a reputation of being hard to find. About two years ago, Yandi Naik and Hanover McGill, Girardi's most trusted detectives in the GAP unit, caught up with Pimento while digging for info at a Desmadre Bolan bar on a rumored gun shipment, and when he had heard, Girardi instructed them to keep the caller off the radio until he got there. What happened next is fuzzy even by GAP standards, because Girardi was the only one in the room when they talked. By the end of their discussion, Pimento was let go, and no one in the department ever knew how close they were to booking one of the most proficient killers in SGV gangland. Girardi figured it might be time to call in the favor. The second guy, and as he thought more about it, the one he would definitely bring in, was Antonio Lechuga, also known as Verde. He was one of the big shots in Desmadre Bolin, but once the Gap unit nearly boxed them into extinction, he bounced around a bit and eventually got in with Puro 626. He rose up quickly with that crew, finding his best work in the party drug racket, and in finding new ways to get happy pills into the bloodstreams of high school kids from all around the valley. Verde and Girardi also went back pretty far. Right around the time he was making the transition from counterfeiter to drug dealer, the lieutenant's crew picked him and his homies up with enough kilos of MDMA to send them all to federal. Always willing to make a deal, Girardi instead told Verde to pick two of his boys to take the fall, and after they bagged about 75% of the product into evidence, he could go back and think long and hard about where he wants to move these pills and how it might be wiser to choose somewhere clear of the Baldwin Park city limits. Since he knew he could find Verde anytime he wanted to at his little shithole on Tory, he nabbed Naik to roll with him and make the arrest. Naturally, Everyone on the gap unit had been briefed by Girardi to first of all keep their mouths shut around the county uniform they sent over, but also to try to stay out of the office so as to avoid the narc altogether. With that being made clear, Girardi grabbed the warrant and his keys and headed out the back door to nab his prey. Detective Desarian walked into the room not five minutes later, just missing the target of her arrival. She had parked in a civilian spot to avoid any impression of storming the gates, but the alarms were by all means sounding. There was always an air of discomfort when she walked into a police station for the first time, but this time was different. Even from when she had pulled her department-issued charcoal challenger into the lot, she had felt the eyes of the officers burning holes in her gray pantsuit, all of them unafraid to be seen with their shaded glares. Dilly did her best to block it out, avoid engagement, and make her way inside as quickly as she could. Fortunately, cops don't congregate much around the entryway, keeping it clear for criminal processing and she managed to make it to the bulletproof window of the front desk without any more intimidation. Unfortunately, there was no one to be found. At all. Desarian looked around what she could see from the window, and there wasn't a soul in sight. She had anticipated the usual aggression. She never exactly expected the departments to assign someone to be her liaison for an investigation. But this was a new tactic in obstructing the county's pursuit of justice, if that's what this all was. Dilly was still willing to give the department the benefit of the doubt. She continued to ring the bell on the counter and wait for a contact. Not thirty seconds later, one emerged. A young man in a black BPPD-branded polo shirt scurried over to the window with a smile that Dilly could only relate to that of a child, it being so bright and expressive, with the welcoming air of someone so innocent they were unaware that not all strangers wished them well. "'Good morning. Was that you and the Challenger?' the young man inquired. "'Morning. Yes, that was me.' "'Very cool.' I could see it was an unmarked, but I've never seen one in that model. What agency are you from? L.A.S.D. My name's... The young man jumped in right at the mention. Oh, I heard about this. Okay, okay. Sorry, you were saying your name. Go ahead, go ahead. Detective Sergeant Deliana Deserian. Oh, that's a mouthful. Bet you have something shorter your friends and family call you, right? I'm sorry. I really need to speak with Lieutenant Francis Girardi. Can you let him know I'm here? The young man's exterior dulled a bit at the name, and he continued in a strikingly more professional manner. Is he expecting you? Dilly matched his tone with a sharpening of her own. What's your name, officer? The man blushed. Oh, no, I'm not sworn. I told them I would if they wanted, but they said it was unnecessary. I'm just a volunteer, doing my part to help the good men and women on the force, doing what I can for the community, I guess. Your name? Oh, right. Gabriel Lomelli feel free to call me Gabe. All the badges around here do. Okay, Gabe, can you please inform Lieutenant Girardi that I need to speak with him for a moment? Oh, he's not in. Yeah, think he's picking somebody up. The gap unit's been really grinding away at some big players lately. Think your arrival might have something to do with that. You didn't hear it from me, though. Dilly held her composure to ask if there was anyone else in the gap unit she could talk to instead, to which Gabe replied that no, all were out in the field. He offered to bring her back and she could wait in the lunchroom or, seeing as she was a Leo, the interrogation room, but she denied the offer and told him that she'd be back a little later and to let Gerardi know that she would appreciate some time to talk. She made her way back to her car, still second guessing if she should have asked to get him on the radio. Her gut told her that he wouldn't answer or maybe he didn't even carry his radio. She had seen that as a common and rather convenient habit to have when one dabbled in alternative policing. Instead, she decided to find a local coffee shop to make her office for the afternoon, and she'd try back at the station one more time in a few hours. If he was still a no show, she'd open up her playbook. Girardi and Naik pulled up to Verdi's block, and as expected, There were about four puros hanging in the front. Sometimes the Gap Unit was a little too good at their jobs. They would break their way through the ranks, knock the leaders around a bit, set up the conditions, and then they would see peace last for years in parts of gangland. The only issue with that was that with no bodies piling up, there really was no need to check in. And with time away came ignorance with street politics. Usually Girardi had some kind of CI he could text to get an update but this caller was a time-sensitive one and he errantly thought he could just show up and bring the poodle big man into the station. Apparently, he wasn't the only one looking for him. The lieutenant dialed up Verde and wasn't in the least bit shocked when it wasn't answered. He moved down his contacts and dialed up a CI that had decent ties to the gang and he was able to learn what he hadn't even dared to fear. He banged his palm against the steering wheel in frustration, taking a deep breath before informing his partner. Poodles are starting a coup. Vedder's been building trust with the other lieutenants and they've been recruiting soldiers for a move against Garza. Remember, I told him we'd back him if he did this? That was like four months ago and he kept saying it was the wrong move. Now, all of a sudden, it makes sense. And he's starting to break at the worst possible time. If he's got bodies out front, that means Garza knows. Yeah, Snitch says that Garza got wind of it when his gun guy didn't have AKs. They have an exclusive deal, so Garza put two and two together and realized that it was one of his guys who was arming up against him. God damn it. Verda's supposed to run shit like this by me first. We can't bring him in if he can pull this off. Obviously, it's in our best interest to have our guy running the poodles. So should we just try to pick someone else up? No. We gotta go in. Verda not telling us about this is a red flag. He either thinks he's too big for us now, or he knows something that we don't. Think they know MAPD is here? I doubt it, but who knows? Be a smart move to spread that word around and keep our contacts out of reach. But, I mean, if they'd go that far, then the sheriffs are for real. That might be our bigger problem. Yeah, we need to bring in a big player today, before Desarian loses any goodwill she might still be holding on to. And Verde still owes us. Yeah, he's gonna have to give up a lieutenant or guns or something. If we go under for anything, he's gonna be a gangler with a target from half of his own crew plus the PD. He knows he has to work with us. Girardi decided it was better not to spook anyone, so after first removing their guns from their holsters and keeping them in a tactically advantageous position, he drove up to the front and parked right by the driveway, under full view of the bangers, two of which immediately came to the car. What's up, fellas? Verde and I need to talk, Girardi muttered coolly. You know you coming? No, this is more of a drop-in. We go way back, though. Tell him Girardi needs to chat. The bigger puto leaned over to get a good look at Detective Naik before pulling out his phone and beginning a text. Girardi interrupted. Oh, I was texting him too. Funny. Wasn't answering me. The big man kept his eyes on his phone. Then when prompted, he told Girardi to head up, shifting his gaze to the passenger. Just Girardi. And no heat. Girardi immediately fired back, doing his best to remain as cordial as possible. We're just going to talk. Redo says he'll talk to G if he leaves a gun. If not, says to get a warrant. I have a warrant for him, and if you give me a sec, I'm sure I can pull one up for you, too, he said through gritted teeth. He had lost a bit of his control and violently shoved his car door open, pushing the liaison back. Naik followed suit on his side, and seeing that both police were holding their drawn weapons, the puros took steps towards them, hovering their hands over their own pieces. Girardi read the writing on the wall and knew he had to de-escalate. Although he was disturbed at how quickly these guys had assumed fighting stances, usually the bangers in the city were terrified to even look Gap Cops in the eye. He knew this wasn't a time to force his will. He needed Verde on his side for the long term, and the last thing his unit needed right now was for a shootout to go down with an MAPD deputy hovering. Okay, everyone calm down. Nike, go ahead and wait out here. Girardi slowly placed his pistol on the dash, then reached down and unlatched his ankle 38, placing it in the car as well. Just to show you guys we're on your side. No heat, okay? Frisk me if you want, handsome. Now he holstered his weapon and got back in the car as the guard nodded his head in the direction of the house, following Girardi up the steps and through the front. Girardi made his way inside and immediately saw Verde sitting on the couch, engrossed in his PlayStation basketball game with another poodle. Girardi gave the room a quick scan to confirm that there were four additional defectors inside, all of which could be assumed armed and dangerous. Hold on, G. We got less than a minute. Grab a seat, offered the revolutionary. Girardi took him up on the offer and sat in silence for the nail-biting conclusion to his game where Verda's Laker squeaked away with the win against the other guy's sons. The two dapped up and Verda shifted down the couch to get closer to Girardi. I was thinking we could have some privacy for this, said the lieutenant. No can do, G. That's the old way. We don't do secret rooms like Garza. Anything you talk about to me, you can say it in front of any of my boys. Okay... So first things first... I was under the impression that you would give us a heads up if you were gonna move on Garza. You know, we got a lot of shit going on right now and I wasn't expecting a puro uprising amidst my own problems. We haven't moved yet. I'll let you know. Gerardi did his best to stay polite once more reminding himself that if Verde was able to pull off the coup and their relationship soured, it would be a lot harder to keep the criminal enterprises out of the public affairs. Unfortunately, Girardi and the Gap Unit didn't have anything hard on Garza to keep him in line, and because of that, he began to really push his dealings as far as he could. It was Girardi and his team's job to make sure Garza learned just how stupid of a move that was. Sadly, this meant a little Verde ass-kissing was in order. You really come down here just for that? The ganglord asked. No, Girardi laughed. I need something from you. And what's that? You know the game. I give you so much room, and sometimes you gotta give me something. Right now, I need to bring in a big player. Just gotta bring him in. We'll make sure he makes bail, he'll be home tonight. But I need to play politics a little at the station. You want me to give up a guy? Did you not hear we do things different under me? We don't give up guys. Yeah, I get it. You have your own way of running things. If it's not obvious, I prefer you in charge to Garza. But we still need to help each other out to keep business afloat. Consider it your first goodwill gesture as leader of the poodles. Verde looked Girardi in the eye to be sure he knew what he was asking. I can't give up one of my guys. I need all my soldiers on hand right now. Garza knows we're coming for him, and if he makes a strike, we're going to go full war. That's a guarantee if he gets where my numbers are low. Neither of us want that. No, but like I said, we just need him for a few hours. Verde stood and began walking to put away the controllers, realizing there was a misunderstanding. Look, G, it's not that I don't trust you. Verde, you gotta give me something here. We botched this, it won't matter who runs the poodles in two months because you might have the entirety of BPPD on you if you don't get me a guy. He leaned in close. To be honest, probably got warrants for everyone in this room. So whoever you want to send in, just go with me. Five hours tops. With that, Verde continued to stare into the deep, dark Italian eyes of his colleague before adding, I might have something better to offer. It was sixteen hundred and Dilly was back in the BPPD parking lot, once more under the stairs as loitering officers. She exited her challenger and pointed her cross trainers in the direction of the front doors. Once inside, she again ran into a bright and bushy-tailed Gabe, who, once again, greeted her with a warm, Good afternoon, Detective Sergeant. Great to see you again. She smiled politely and asked if Lieutenant Girardi had been in. Gabe replied that he had not and that there was a decent chance he had gone home for the evening. Gabe let her in on a little habit of Gerard's of skipping off a shift and going right home to his wife as chewing the late debrief. Dilly had exhausted her politeness at this point and decided to start speaking straight. Look, Gabe, I know you can either get him or one of the Gap officers on the radio. You're going to have to do that right now. There's a legal term I've been trying really hard not to use, and even though this isn't a criminal investigation... The more you help Girardi duck me, the closer I get to letting the sheriff know that something weird is in the works out here in Bowman Park. So, listen to me. You might think you're doing the cool kids a favor by trying to reroute me from them, but you're really not. The poor police aide stood silent and afraid as Dilly continued. Grab that radio right there and tell Girardi to get back to the station ASAP. Tell him Detective Sergeant Desarian from LASD is here and she needs a word. Today. Got that? Gabe nodded, grabbed his radio and made a move to the Gap office as Dilly snapped at him. No, 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 no. Do it right here. I'm not playing these games anymore. Just get on the channel and tell him what I just told you. If he's going to give you some kind of instruction to get rid of me, I want to be here when... She stopped cold at a heavy voice, though somewhat softer than she expected. She turned around and standing right there was the origin of the voice. One of a leader, but more importantly, one of an orator. This was the first time she had heard it and she could tell right away from just this limited sample size that this was a voice that spoke about as smooth as it got. With a smile from ear to ear, and leading in a fresh perp, Lieutenant Girardi continued, Detective Desarian it's about time. That was the first part of the Bad Boys of Baldwin Park PD. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're getting intrigued. The mystery is just beginning. All the politics are just starting to go haywire. So definitely want to subscribe. Part two is next week where Girardi is going to go see what other problems there are in gangland and this impending war and how Detective Desarian is going to add even further complications. They will go visit a ganglord's home and see exactly what's going on. While Girardi tries to dance around his corruption allegations and Desarian tries to hone in and make her case. So definitely make sure you're subscribed YouTube, Spotify, Apple, you know where to find us. And we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening.